and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Okay, if I had a pound for every time someone said to me, Andy, I get what you're saying about the importance of company values and choosing the right words and then showing them to be important through actions. But how do you really go about making them live and breathe in a business? I can't tell you. I reckon I would be a lot better off. But you know what? It is a good question. And I think it's the right question. And for me, it shows that there's a purpose behind wanting to have them in the first place. And for me, That's a great starting point. I am still frustrated and saddened to hear that there are still businesses out there today ticking the box of having values, which then never get further than being gloriously announced at a conference or making it onto some glossy poster or employee handbook. There's no value in having values that don't work for your people and your business. I've said that many times on this podcast, genuinely. You heard it from me, you're better off without them if you're not going to do anything with them. I feel so passionately about this, and especially as we face into a post-pandemic workplace that is shifting and moving all the time, uh, that I wanted to bring someone else on the show who has successfully breathed life into their company values and which now form a core part of how that business functions so they could share their story with you instead of me whittling on all the time and give you the benefit of their experiences in making that happen and the benefits of of doing all of that. And I found someone who's going to do that for us. today. I am joined by Mark Reifenrath. He's the CEO and co-founder of Spinitech, a full-service digital marketing agency with over 150 team members right across the US. And in that capacity, he understands firsthand how critical a company's culture is to achieving and maintaining success. He's grown the business from a college startup to one of the premier full-service digital marketing agencies in the whole of the US. And what's his secret ingredient? It's company values that are truly lived, including a commitment to get better every day. And I, for one, am looking forward to hearing how Mark's done that and what he's learned along the way. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. And thanks for that great intro. Oh, listen, mate. It's um, it's a great story, I think. And I can't wait to dig into it. I mean, this stuff for me is is so important. I mean, even only the other day, I was with another group who were talking about their company values with so much disdain. <laughs> you know, they just they could just about recall them. They 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 had nothing good to say about them because they couldn't see them alive. They just they weren't there. And and, and you're going to tell me it's a story of something very different, I think, today. And and importantly, help us understand how you've got to that point. Before we get to that, Mark, um, why don't you just do a bit of a better job than me on an intro. Tell us a bit more about you, about Spinutech, and what's really taking your focus today. 
Yeah. So I think an important piece of the story is I started when I was in college with a couple of friends, really. And, and the reason that's important, because we weren't influenced by corporate America or, as we like to say, the man. <laughs> uh, so we didn't have some of the rules or the boundaries or the societal expectations of things like maybe a lot of entrepreneurs do when they start a business. Mm -hmm. um, and we were also just young enough, dumb enough to kind of be fearless of a lot of this stuff. Nice. So, you know, today, I mean, starting like that versus today, very different, obviously, you know, I think you evolve as a leader, the way that you view all these things with culture and core values over the course of 22 years, over the course of going from three of you to, I think we're at 171 today or something like that. Wow. So one, all the, the company goes through growth stages, but you as a leader, you have to adapt and change constantly. I, I ask myself that question every day, you know, what do I need to change about how I'm approaching the day and what I'm doing and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So today, yeah, I've, I've got a big focus on our, our culture and our core values, um, invest in that heavily. I defend it. I'm, I have to be the number one defender of it. I try to encourage others to become defenders of it as quickly as possible. And I, I have to have a perfect record on our core <laughs> values. You know, I can't mess up on those. Um, we're all human. We're going to have, have, but I really got to live those as better than anybody else. Um, and then I focus on just making sure that the vision of our company is, is headed in the right direction and, and support the sales and marketing team, um, support client work. You know, you, you still do a little bit of everything. Uh, but I would say for me, it's been a fun ride going through the evolutions of my role and kind of reinventing myself a couple of times throughout that as well. It's so true. Uh, That's exactly what fun. to do, isn't it? You really do have to sort of like reinvent yourself. And I love hearing you already talk about the fact that you're the kind of the chief cheerleader, right, for these for these values, because if if, if you don't show they're important, no one's going to pay any attention to them. But we we are human, and I think when you get to a place in an organization where perhaps you do slip, it's cool for people, and they feel safe enough to sort of say, mm, not as a rebuke, but as a kind of reminder to sort of say, really, is that has things changed? And it's like, hey, no, put me back on the tracks. <laughs> I've had a bad yeah. day. Let's move on with that. Um, okay, well, look. Can we maybe start at the beginning, right? Let's go back. And as someone who's now got an active set of values uh, in the business, driving the business, lighting the fire underneath it, really, were they something that was always there in their current form from day one? Was it a notion that you had? Uh, have things kind of changed along the way? What, tell us that sort of bit of the journey first. So when we started no mission, no business plan. I mean, yeah. we were, we were pretty, <laughs> I don't think you're alone there. My friend was right. <laughs> which I always joke business plans are really made for bankers so that they can give you money and kind of start to pin you down core values, culture. We didn't really even talk about that until 2008 ish probably. Okay. But this, this happened uh, three months ago, probably. Um, I do these quarterly meetups with Mark. Uh, I try to touch base with the whole team and we have several meetings and our, our first team member is still with us. Our oh. first four team members are still with us. Wow. Um, and we, this, this came up and there was a pretty long debate about how great they were and how lived they were. And, and it was a really positive conversation. I was kind of sitting back and, and enjoying it. But Eric speaks up and says, here's the thing about our core values. They may have changed in the wording over the years, but they've only gotten louder. Nice. Meaning they've always been there, whether they were written or unspoken. There was this 
tone. There was this vibe that that's what they were. And to him, they've just gotten louder and stronger. And I thought that was a really great compliment to, even though we didn't have them clearly identified for many years, they were there. It was this unspoken thing. And so what I would have loved to say we did that on day one and we nailed it, but you know, (laughs) there's probably been three or four evolutions of the wording we went through a merger in January of 21. And so we kind of took both companies and reassessed them. And, and it really boiled down to four that are really who we are today. And I think that that's great. And, you know, I think people maybe get overly focused on the exact wording. I mean, it just has to be you. It has to be authentic. And it isn't a marketing piece. It's it's not just on the wall. It's not just on your website. It's really got to be the essence of how you attack the day. And I think when you, as a leader, understand that, it, it changes things. And and we've gotten to the point where I even say, listen, here, here's the simple rules of how we use our core values. Hire, fire, lead, manage, solve problems using our core values. So you think of the evolution of the beginning, we maybe did that unspokenly. But today, it's like somebody new comes in. That's the framework you give them to just work their day. So you've got a client with a teammate. Well, okay, what's that's the problem? Throw that, which core values misaligned? Throw it on the table. A client's gotten a little wonky. Well, let's think about what core value maybe they're misaligned with. Now you can identify and boil it down quicker. And now you start to do, here's a great saying that I love, attacking the problem and not the person. Yeah, 100%. I, that's To me, that's kind of music to my ears. And what I really like in that is, well, God, there's a whole bunch of stuff I really like in that. <laughs> but I think the, the, the first part, right, about these things intrinsically being there that you then kind of bring to the surface more or you, you make more overt. I mean, there are cleverer people than me that have done work on on values, but I really like Patrick Lencioni's kind of work on on values. And if we were to think about his four definitions or four types, right, of values, the, the core ones, the ones that are deep, the kind of ones that you're talking about here that have just been there, uh, and these are the ones that kind of eke out because they're the most important. They're almost the unconscious ones that that you behave by, right? There's those aspirational ones. And I think this is sometimes where companies fall over because they start talking about these are our values and they don't express the fact that actually we don't have, maybe have this yet, but if we want to succeed, if we want to hit where we're going on the journey, we need to kind of develop this kind of stuff. Then there's, the other side of the stuff, these permission to play ones, which I think are what drive me bananas the most, because these are the ones that people roll out like it's kind of like a magic eight ball. Which value should I have? Oh, I'm going to have integrity. Brilliant. Right. That that just gets you to the table right? right? to play. That doesn't do anything really for your business. If you're having to say to people, we won't cheat and lie, work with us, I think you've got a problem. Um, and then I think it's interesting with the accidental ones, the things that kind of stumble out of there that, that just happen. Um, and when you think about the values you've now landed on, right. The, the ones that are loud, what sort of mix have they come from? Have, were they all core? Has there been aspirations that are now core? How's it kind of works? I think they're all who we are. I think it's just, and, and that's a direct reflection of myself and, and my partners really. Yeah. And, and I'll just rattle them off real quick. So sure. yeah, great. Um, we get better every day. Uh, we do the right thing. We over me and we own it. And so there's themes in all of those. And the get better every day mentality is we're going to be lifelong learners. We're going to push ourselves to get better. We're going to push 
the team that we're on to get better, which is going to make our clients better and the business better. So it's a very simple philosophy of just attacking every day, a growth mindset, um, not a fixed mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, do the right thing. That's the integrity one, but we take it and say, listen, we do the right thing. Even when it's the hard thing, even when nobody's looking, it's just that. And, and we talk about transparency with our clients. So digital marketing, there's a lot of data. There's a lot of sure. way to fudge numbers and make it look good, even when it's bad and vice versa. So if we're failing, we want to let our clients know right away. Yeah. So that's doing the right thing. Cause so, so that's the live version of that. Um, we over me, that's a, you're a team player. You're, you come to work to be part of something bigger than yourself. And, and it's, uh, not trying to climb the corporate ladder. It's not letting your ego get in the way. We say team player or team member instead of employee. Team members come to be greater than part of something greater than themselves. Employees come to check boxes and check clocks. Um, and then we own it means we own our victories. We own our failures. We own our work. We own a 40 hour work week. We own our desks. We're not micromanagers. So there's, there's the simple statements, but then there's all the things that go with them. And I do think four is a great number. I, you can have more if you want to, but for us, this is just what truly embodies it. And then what I would say is maybe going deeper on this, you know, for you is how do you live those? Yeah. Well, it's the essence of how we attack the day. I said that earlier, but in our shout out channel on Slack, it's not just Andy did great with this client, blah, blah, blah. It's Andy displayed we over me when he da 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 with the client or mm-hmm. with this internal team. And they'll list out one or multiple core values in, in that. And that's all that's feed with, feed yeah, is, yeah. is filled with. There's probably a couple sitting on there that I haven't seen today yet. So <laughs> that's exciting. That's like, that's how you live your core values. It's just one part of it. So not only are they attacking the problems with the clients and their day and their teams with it, but then it's worse recognizing it to encourage it and, and reinforce why we live that way. Look, I, I couldn't agree more with it, with all of that stuff. And I'd be interested at some point in today to try and get under the skin of how you've got to that point, right? How you've got to the point where naturally, or maybe not, we'll find out, um, guys are using the values in that way and, and, and heralding them and connecting them to actual activity, to, to actual mm-hmm. actions and recognizing that stuff. Because that's a panacea for a lot of people, right? That's, that's where really people want to go. I guess before we get into some of those making making it live, the the inspiration to want to make them louder was it just a natural occurrence? So, like Eric said, they just became louder; they became more important to us. Or was there at some point a concerted effort to say, "Hey, hey these these things are happening in the business. We need to have a concerted kind of double down on these things and make them really important." How, how did that work? So this goes back to growth stages for me. Yeah. When when I was working with everybody on the team every day, meeting, talking to them multiple times a day, or that works well when there's 20 people, 40 people, 50 people, <laughs> and, and you have those regular casual collisions with them. Yeah. 170-ish people across five offices, and we have 50-plus truly remote people across the country, and we're really in a full hybrid um, pretty much basically remote at this point. You don't do that. You don't see, I I can't talk to everybody every week and I don't. And so they don't see them lived out. They don't know. Like another thing that we promote is, you know, let's, let's have fun while we work. There's no work hard, play hard. It's all balled into one. We can work hard while having fun. Yeah. I model that, but if they don't see that, they don't know that. And so the, the drive to make them louder and it's part of how we 
hire, fire, lead, manage, solve problems, all that fun stuff is because of our size. Mm-hmm. And, and so as a leader, when you hit a certain size too, you have to say things multiple times, seven times, seven different ways or a hundred different ways so that people hear it and understand it. And so that was the impetus for being louder with them. But I would say it has forced us to get more formalized with them and also maybe realize the benefits of being louder about it. And that that Slack channel is lighting up all day with that. And that in annual reviews, it's getting used in the 360 reviews, it's getting mentioned in every interaction. It's a, it's in the back of the, the thinking. And so the unintended consequences of being louder with it have been really great. Yeah. And so I would just tell my younger self, my smaller company self, you should have been doing that even when you were smaller, because it probably would have reinforce it even stronger and potentially driven some tighter bonds and, and, and better actions. I think that's, I mean, that is a great statement to make on its own. And it's something I say to people all the time on this, on this topic, which, you know, I can't help it. It's a favorite topic uh, of mine is you're never too small for this stuff. Right. And I think this is the thing is that people look, well, we're only a small business. There's only a few of us, a handful of us. We you know we just do what we do. Yeah. But the sooner you hardwire that stuff, you know, you're ready then for those stages of growth. Cause like you said, when you're growing, things can get wobbly. You, you need some kind of structure, some anchor points to hold you back. You know, how many startups have kind of got to where they've got to past funding round because of the innate core values and passion of a business that as soon as they start to scale, dissipates when you start mm. bringing other people in who don't have the same connection to it you know and if those things were in place right at the start how much better how much easier how much how different could it have been right i think that's what that's yeah. really what you're saying what's the framework you you've built that allows for healthier growth more stability in that growth because mm. a lot of businesses they'll have spurts and then they tumble right back down to where they were true learned it then they kind of re- regroup develop a new plan, then grow again, maybe have a little fall, not as far. So it's it's a framework that can really help for growth and stability in that growth. Yeah. I I have an annoying saying that I use about bringing this stuff to life. I, I talk about taking values from the mural to the mindset, right? Mm. So you can see values everywhere on receptions uh, on the wall you know enron even even had them etched into rock i seem to remember that that went well um you know there are lots of displays of these things but i think the real difference is like we're talking about is when those values are part of the way you think right and drive some actions and so can you think of anything specific like go back to when you started to make these things louder was there anything specific or the first task that you did to get them off the page, off the poster, off the design pad, and actually into Psyche? Can you remember mm-hmm. what some of those first things that you did? Not necessarily like the first time. Sure. But, but I can tell you when we did, when we went through the merger, so you're mm-hmm. bringing two cultures together, <clears throat> two teams that are pretty tight knit. And, you know, there's, a, there's always going to be a little bit of, I don't know if I'd say contention, but like defensive thinking of our ways the best and naturally you know, yeah so we had we're in, we're an eos traction company if, if that means anything to you or, or your audience but we had this kickoff meeting once we had kind of established all this and you know i read off those core values to the whole team company-wide meeting and then we they're reiterated especially having those those early days of the of that but for any new team member i do a cultural and core values overview that starts that. So it's, it's 
you know, that, that company wide meeting was kind of that kickoff. Yeah. And then it really started to work into the Slack channel and it just started to trickle and permeate into everything. And it's not going to happen overnight. It's got to be proven. It's got to be lived yeah. and, and reinforced. And, and I would say from a leadership perspective, we have to illustrate our decision-making, our actions are in, in line with those back to that. I have to bat, you know, yeah. a near perfect record with those. And if you miss, you got to own it. Yeah. Um, I've also given the team permission to call me out. Yeah. Um, it's not just a, it's not a, it's a literally a spoken thing I've said. It's, I've said, Hey, you have permission to give me feedback, hold me accountable, push yeah. me. I want to. And, and that's part of, you know, the core values too of that. There's accountability in all those. So I think it's really, you have to live it, especially your leadership team. Mm. They've got to, they've got to illustrate it on a daily basis. I think any little cracks, values are like water, <laughs> right? If there's cracks in anything, they'll seep through and they yeah. will escape and you, you will have lost them. And I, so I think that even in my trigger word integrity behind them, I think is really, really, really important. I think I'm interested to understand, have there been specific kind of gestures, activities, times when you have really felt like the pennies dropped in people or where on the other side of it, perhaps it's missed the mark. Perhaps it hasn't quite gone as you would have hoped or expected. And what was the result of some of that stuff? Mm. I mean, if I think there's been a, a breach of one of our core values, mm. wherever it might be, I, I, if, I don't get worked up too easily, sure. but I do get pretty passionate about those situations and just mm. saying, gang, we have to defend that. Like, so you have a team member that is, just very clearly misaligned and there's no path to resolution. I don't like to have to cut people loose, but it's a favor for both parties. It's a brave thing to do, Mark. It's a brave thing to do, right? But that's the, how, how do you tell the team that you've got their back? Mm. Cause the team members know that they're going to recognize that, know that, yeah, that person, they're definitely like, they're a cancer, whatever they want to call it. They're, they're misaligned and they feel that the best thing you can do as a leader is cut that out immediately and you will gain more respect for what from the team. I would also say we've done that with clients. Okay. Now that's interesting. So you want to gain some credit with your team, some street cred, do that. And and we don't take this lightly, but there's been a couple of situations where we have had to fire a client. And um, I think it was last year, newish team member and she, there'd been some issues with this client that we were aware of, but kind of there was a final straw. And she reached out to me after this call and just said, Hey, Mark, here's what just happened. And she kind of explained it. And I said, Okay, it's very clear to me. We need to let this client go. We got to, we got to fire him. And she was like, almost like, Well, well, yeah. well <laughs> you know, thinking like it was somehow her fault. I was like, That is not your fault. Like, and so I emailed that CEO and said, Hey, we need to connect. Uh, just a heads up. We're going to talk about transitioning this account away from spinny tech we'll support you but i i'll talk to you live you know give me a call mm. and of course when you want to break up with somebody they want to stay with you even more <laughs> and oh we didn't really mean that we, you know but they had just crossed some lines the way that they treated the team in a very disrespectful manner very against multiple core values yeah and you don't so you got it you know is it dollars that you're going to defend or are you going to defend your core value and your culture listen uh i actually think it's really easy to say oh, I'm going to defend my culture, right? I'm going to defend my people. And I I reckon if I had 99 guests out of 100, they would say that, right? Right. What actually happens, though, I think is going to be a whole different story. Um, You know, I know 
the the Jack Welch thing is kind of, you know, it's moved on uh, since the problems. But I go back to some of the stuff that came out of that work and and he what he did and Blanchard talked about about that simple two by two of high performing versus high cultural performance, right? And I think the bravest businesses out there are the guys who look at the guys who hit the numbers, who are the top performers, but are asses when it comes to culture because they are poison. Nice. They are poison. Yeah. And, and cutting, higher turnover. Yeah. Cutting those guys out, that's a brave call. We can all get rid of rubbish performers, <laughs> right, who are not culturally uh, astute. That's easy. Yes. But, but making making a call to say on an employee basis, somebody who really gets the numbers and has won awards and all this malarkey over the years and say, no, 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 this is not good. I, I think that's another great way, actually, to win the hearts and minds of people and to really show that this stuff's important, right? 100%. And, and I would I would argue this was $20,000 plus a month in fees. Wow. So it's not, not a small, yeah. small client. But the argument I would say is we gained loyalty from our team mm-hmm. knowing that we've got their backs. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you too, you go to your team and say, hey gang, all right, we've got to replace this revenue. Are they going to figure it out? They're yeah. going to work hard to figure it out. Yeah. Can are they in complete control of figuring that? Probably not, but they're going to do everything in their power to help that, and they're going to work harder on great clients, knowing that we're aligned and 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 go there. So fortunately, this has only happened a handful of times over the sure. course of, of time. But we can't pause in those moments if that's if that's what it is. That's what you got to do. Can I ask you a question, Mark? Because I would like to think that there was a positive halo effect in client world about that action right Mm -hmm. in my heart of hearts i would like to think that other clients get to hear well these guys kind of got rid of some idiots right right that's the kind of guys i'd like to work with that that's that's a company who has some kind of moral integrity in here and have you seen that as that has that happened as some of that i think so i mean we're not afraid to say those things i mean in a in an rfp situation or in a pitch we're not afraid to say, listen, um, we understand this is an RFP, but just like we have to be aligned with our core values and our culture. Um, that, otherwise, this isn't going to work. And that kind of makes a potential client maybe step back and go, whoa. And, and then you might tell a story of like, we've actually fired clients that, you know, have treated us poorly. Like we're not a vendor. Yeah. We are a partner. partner. And everybody says that, but we'll illustrate how we're a partner and why we've had clients for 20 years. 15 years, 10. I mean, we kind of tend to hoard clients and in our space, that's really rare. Oh, tell me about it. Really rare. It's, it's two to five years is a typical life, you know, and and agency turnover of clients is typically 20 to 30%. Um, that's also high. Ours has traditionally been way below that, like 5%. Hey, listen, as an ex marketer, uh, as an ex marketing director, CMO, whatever you want to call me, I've, I've been guilty of, going through the well we got to repitch we got to kind of like reassess where in my heart i'm screaming no 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 this is a really good relationship i want <laughs> i want to cultivate this because they get me i get them yeah. we're kind of growing but there's still this kind of whole thing of well come on we we got to got to screw them down to the floor we got to kind of yeah. like keep things going we got to give them don't make them feel comfy and you know it's not to come out of that stuff you go do you know that's really kind of misplaced right yeah. and that's where i think the word partner because the partner's a two-way thing 
It, it exactly. has to be. You know, that's now I'm triggered from my marketing days. And that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me give you a good story here. Uh, one of our larger clients, um, the CMO wasn't on a call for this particular meeting, but somebody on their team, the client side, got a little wonky with our team. Mm. And guess what? I don't have regular like scheduled contact with this individual. They reached out to me and were like, hey, Mark, I, I don't know if you heard. Uh, there was this call. Uh, don't worry. Like, first of all, that was unacceptable by both of our standards. And I know that is against your core values. Yeah. And I've talked to them. I've talked to their leader. Um, this this won't happen again. If, if that individual's on a call, we will be with them. And at the, I just, I didn't have to say anything. <laughs> and at the end, and at the end, I just said, well, hey, uh, first of all, thank you. And I can't tell you how awesome and proud and whatever feelings I'm ex- feeling right now that I have about how you are defending our culture and the way that you know we work and yours. I just said this is we're this is like at the deepest levels of partnership. That's a great fit, isn't it? That when that when that stuff's going on, you know you're in a good place. Right. He didn't want them to screw up the thing we had going, you know. And and so I shared that with the team and just said, hey, just so you know, client, let us know. And they're like, we already knew that. They already let us know too. But that's great that they wanted to share that with you as well. That's brilliant. Um, I want to talk about momentum, if mm-hmm. I can, because I think it's a really important underplayed piece when you're trying to get this stuff going, especially when you've got a scaling business, right? Mm-hmm. Because you've got all sorts of things going going on. Um, what lessons have you learned about momentum with bringing this stuff to life, Mark? Is there anything that kind of stands out in that area? I think that, first of all, there's it's good to recognize there's positive momentum and there's negative momentum. Okay. And one slowing one down as quickly as possible. And then in the opposite sense, not letting the other one get out of control. Sure. If it goes too fast, back to the, there's rattle points, there's shaking. Like, yeah. And so even if it's a good thing, you can't have too much of a good thing. You've got to throttle that. So it's trying to be strategic and just really, are you looking at all your monitors and sensors and your gut feel and, and making sure that it's, it's everything's pacing it the right way. And that, you know, with, with culture and core values, you don't want to cross that line of cultish. <laughs> um, right. So that's a momentum thing that could swing it. Like, let's just feel like people are a little crazy about this, <laughs> you know, versus like, no, we're proud of it. And this is the way that we attack our day. And and that's kind of where it, it it ends and it doesn't cross that line of being a little crazy. Yeah. Um, that's the bad momentum uh, that could get there. But the positive momentum is you have that and you start to win and then you win again. And, and that contagious feeling is very addictive. And I would say we're experiencing some of this where that wasn't the norm or we, we were in rooms we didn't deserve to be in. We were winning clients we didn't deserve to be winning. Well, but when you do that a bunch, it becomes an expectation. Yeah, We're probably now starting to like, okay, let's not fail to recognize the small and big wins no matter what. We can't be so I, Alabama, Nick Saban, you know, he was won multiple national championships. And I've been talking about this a lot lately. He's getting interviewed right after winning a national championship. Hey, Coach Saban, how you know, great team, great effort. That team we played was really great, great season, you know. And they're like, Oh, awesome. How long are you gonna enjoy this? Well, probably the rest of the tonight, and then tomorrow morning we'll start working on next year. <laughs> Holy cow. Like he's given himself less than 24 hours to yeah. soak in another national championship. Yeah. So I think we've got to always remember to recognize and celebrate the small wins and the big wins, not just the big ones. But it's it's a weird thing to get stuck in that cycle. 
Um, it's good that your standards have risen, but you have to make sure that everybody is feeling, wow, that was a great win. We just won another championship. All right, let's celebrate it. Let's re-gear. Let's retool. Let's take time off if we need to and then go attack the next one. It's so easy for us to just gloss over the good stuff or even the strengths that we have and forget about mm-hmm. them because, well, it's done. It's done. We've got to focus yeah. on the weak stuff, right? We've got to build muscle here. We've got to train hard here. And I think sometimes that's the same in momentum because if I'm trying to do this stuff with businesses, with clients, um, often when we're talking about bringing this stuff to life, the concentration internally will be, see, we've got this cohort over here. They're going to be really hard and really tough. We, we need to really concentrate on getting the message into them. And I kind of come from it from the other perspective of, nah, we'll leave those guys, right? I want you to hunt where all the sunshine and energy is because I want us to build some momentum. You know, yeah. uh, the, the Mexican wave, if you like, that we need has to start with some guys who want to stand up and wave. And at the end, when we built the momentum, the guys at the bottom who are going to cause a problem, they're either going to get caught up in the wave and start waving, or they're going to drown, and we will get rid of them. Yeah. <laughs> right? And exactly. I, I, is that the same sort of approach that, that, that you would take? Uh, yeah. I think that with different growth stages, there's different people that are equipped yeah. for those stages. And I think that it's a healthy thing for them to transition. They may have outgrown you. You may have outgrown them. Mm-hmm. And so that wave of momentum, you know, some people love all stages of that some don't and, and that's okay. And, but you can't allow underperformance to happen. A top performer not will not remain a top performer forever, potentially. Yeah. And so recognizing that and celebrating that is a, it can, it can be a positive thing. Well, you you have already referenced a whole bunch of benefits that you've kind of seen as a business, um, and certainly some of the guys um, in the business are recognizing. If you were to think about the kind of overarching benefits that that you you see, and perhaps some of the under the cover benefits that you realize, how would you quantify some of those? How how would you kind of say that they manifest themselves? Well, one for me, like, I don't have any, like, there's no lies I'm holding. Mm. Like, I'm very confident in the way that we present ourselves. But I think, you know, our retention rate has been amazing, traditionally speaking. Um, We are a profitable company. We've never had to take a business loan. Uh, We didn't get outside funding. Um, So I think our, our, our retention rates for both our clients and our team and the fact that we're profitable, those are all simple metrics uh, for success. And and we can look at what industry standards are, and we typically outpace all of those. Uh, so there's healthiness, and there's a, just a health factor in all of that. I think that is, it would be harder, I would think, to grow if we didn't have all this in place. Yeah, it would have been harder to grow in a healthy fashion. I think that's the that's the piece, isn't it? Because legitimately, I can't sit here and go, look at all your fantastic growth and and plaudits and testimonials and and all that kind of stuff because you've got values. Yay. Because there's a whole load of work, right? There's, there's work that goes in. There's there's technology. There's innovation. There's effort, blood, sweat, tears, all that kind of stuff. But I think that last thing you said is that values have kind of acted as a sort of multiplier, right? Yeah. Or a sort of lubricant <laughs> to yeah. to quicker success, right? Or or more sustainable success. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And I I think I don't. I've said this. I don't know how we would have grown at the pace we did if we didn't have those things in place, it, it would have maybe allowed somebody to get into the organization that didn't align and become a cancer and a disruptor and stalled that out. Or, you know, 
companies can grow. I mean, I think too often we celebrate revenue growth, mm. but why just grow revenue if it's not profitable? You've yeah. got to maintain your profitability. Otherwise, why are you doing it? At the same time, if your culture starts to get off balance, you might need to hit pause, get that reset because don't just get addicted to the dollar. I think that I, I don't lead with thinking about the money. If we've got the right team, the best team, they're happy, they're super talented, the rest of it's going to figure itself out. I was going to say, that's the outcome, right? That's the outcome of all those things that you're doing is let we make, we'll be profitable and things will be good and we can reinvest and we can look after people and we can do some great stuff. Um, we can do great things for clients. You know, we can really kind of like motor on that sort of stuff. But, yeah. you know, it's it's an outcome at the end of the day. But and yet still around many boardrooms, it's the number one focus, right? Give me the top it line is. numbers. Give me the top line numbers and the rest is forgotten. Um, I'm so enjoying this conversation. And but I just glanced at my timer and gone, where the heck's that time <laughs> yes. gone already? Right? Um <laughs> I, I got this thing in the show I call Sticky Notes, Mark, yep. right? So it's where I try and see if I can have my guest summarize their biggest pearls of wisdom here, right? So I ask my guests to leave behind three little sticky notes, mm-hmm. right? And we're thinking about here on the lessons you've learned of really making values live in your business. Mm-hmm. Knowing what you've done. Looking at the journey you've gone on and the benefits you're seeing, what are your three sticky notes that you'd leave behind today, Mark? So I think that you, you've hit on it, that lived core values, not aspirational core values. That would definitely be one. Um, I, I really love the hire, fire, lead, manage, and solve problems using your core values. Yeah. And then the third one, um, I would say, you know, as a leader, you have to be all in bat that near perfect record on your core values and culture. Brilliant. Love that. Mark, I kind of knew this was going to be a fun conversation. Uh, it's a topic I really love. It's just brilliant to hear guys who are making a real go of these things and really seeing them work for them. It's stories I love to hear. It's stories I love to then go on and tell other people. So I'm really grateful for you coming today. I wish you nothing but success. And uh, hey, I'd love to keep in touch and hear all about these things that are going on and, and, and the next great things that you achieve. Thanks so much for today. Oh, thank you. This is, I enjoyed it as well. And I think we could have kept talking for another couple <laughs> hours if we wanted to. No question. Absolutely no question. But look, you take care, my friend. And thanks ever so much. Oh, thank you so much. It was an honor. Brilliant. Well, that was Mark Reifenrath. And if you'd like to find out a bit more about him and any of the things that we've talked about today, please check out the show notes. So that concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, found it interesting, and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, please like, comment, and subscribe. It really helps. I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.